Section 12 of Invisible Links This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack The Outlaws, Part 3 the autumn had come with a heavy storm. Tord went alone in the woods to see after the snares and traps. Bergrese sat at home to mend his clothes. Tord's way led in a broad path up a wooded height. Every gust carried the dry leaves in a rustling whirl up the path. Time after time Tord thought that someone went behind him. He often looked round. Sometimes he stopped to listen but he understood that it was the leaves and the wind, and went on. As soon as he started on again, he heard someone coming dancing on silken foot up the slope. Small feet came tripping, elves and fairies played behind him. When he turned round, there was no one, always no one. He shook his fists at the rustling leaves and went on. They did not grow silent for that, but they took another tone. They began to hiss and to pant behind him. A big viper came gliding. Its tongue dripping venom hung far out of his mouth, and its bright body shone against the withered leaves. Beside the snake pattered a wolf, a big gaunt monster, who was ready to seize fast in his throat when the snake had twisted about his feet and bitten him in the heel. Sometimes they were both silent, as if to approach him unperceived, but they soon betrayed themselves by hissing and panting, and sometimes the wolf's claws rung against a stone. Involuntarily Tord walked quicker and quicker, but the creatures hastened after him. When he felt that they were only two steps distant and were preparing to strike, he turned. There was nothing there and he had known it the whole time. He sat down on a stone to rest. Then the dry leaves played about his feet as if to amuse him. All the leaves of the forest were there, small, light yellow birch leaves, red speckled mountain ash, the elm's dry, dark brown leaves, the aspen's tough, light red, and the willow's yellow-green. Transformed and withered, Scared and torn were they, and much unlike the downy, light-green, delicately shaped leaves which a few months ago had rolled out of their buds. Sinners, said the boy, sinners, nothing is pure in God's eyes. The flame of his wrath has already reached you. When he resumed his wandering, he saw the forest under him bend before the storm like a heaving sea. But in the path it was calm, but he heard what he did not feel. The woods were full of voices. He heard whispering, wailing songs, coarse threats, thundering oaths. There was laughter and laments. There was the noise of many people that which hounded and pursued, which rustled and hissed, 
which seemed to be something and still was nothing, gave him wild thoughts. He felt again the anguish of death, as when he lay on the floor in his den and the peasants hunted him through the wood. He heard again the crashing of branches, the people's heavy tread, the ring of weapons, the resounding cries, the wild, bloodthirsty noise which followed the crowd. But it was not only that which he heard in the storm. There was something else, something still more terrible, voices which he could not interpret, a confusion of voices which seemed to him to speak in foreign tongues. He had heard mightier storms than this whistle through the rigging, but never before had he heard the wind play on such a many-voiced harp. Each tree had its own voice. The pine did not murmur like the aspen, nor the poplar like the mountain ash. Every hole had its note, every cliff's sounding echo its own ring. And the noise of the brooks and the cry of foxes mingled with the marvellous forest storm. But all that he could interpret, there were other strange sounds. It was those which made him begin to scream and scoff and groan in emulation with the storm. He had always been afraid when he was alone in the darkness of the forest. He liked the open sea and the bare rocks. Spirits and phantoms crept about among the trees. Suddenly he heard who it was who spoke in the storm. It was God, the great avenger, the God of justice. He was hunting him for the sake of his comrade. He demanded that he should deliver up the murderer to his vengeance. Then Tor began to speak in the midst of the storm. He told God what he had wished to do, but had not been able. He had wished to speak to Bergrese and to beg him to make his peace with God, but he had been too shy. Bashfulness had made him dumb. When I heard that the earth was ruled by a just God, he cried, I understood that he was a lost man. I have lain and wept for my friend many long nights. I knew that God would find him out, wherever he might hide. But I could not speak, nor teach him to understand. I was speechless, because I loved him so much. Ask not that I shall speak to him. Ask not that the sea shall rise up against the mountain. He was silent, and in the storm the deep voice, which had been the voice of God for him, ceased. It was suddenly calm, with a sharp sun and a splashing as of oars and a gentle rustle as of stiff rushes. These sounds brought Un's image before him. The outlaw cannot have anything, not riches, nor women, nor the esteem of men. If he should betray Bird, he would be taken under the protection of the law. But Anne must love Berg after what he had done for her. There was no way out of it all. When the storm increased, he heard again steps behind him, and sometimes a breathless panting. Now he did not dare to look back, for he knew that the white monk went behind him. He came from the feast at Berg Rees's house, 
drenched with blood, with a gaping axe-wound in his forehead. And he whispered, Denounce him, betray him, save his soul, leave his body to the pyre, that his soul may be spared. Leave him to the slow torture of the rack, that his soul may have time to repent. Tord ran. All this fright of what was nothing in itself grew, when it so continually played on the soul to an unspeakable terror. He wished to escape from it all. As he began to run, again thundered that deep, terrible voice which was God's. God himself hunted him with alarms, that he should give up the murderer. Bergrese's crime seemed more detestable than ever to him. An unarmed man had been murdered, a man of God pierced with shining steel. It was like a defiance of the Lord of the world, and the murderer dared to live. He rejoiced in the sun's light and in the fruits of the earth as if the Almighty's arm were too short to reach him. He stopped, clenched his fists, and howled out a threat. Then he ran like a madman from the wood down to the valley. Tord hardly needed to tell his errand. Instantly ten peasants were ready to follow him. It was decided that Tord should go alone up to the cave, so that Berg's suspicions should not be aroused. But where he went he should scatter peas, so that the peasants could find the way. When Tord came to the cave, the outlaws sat on the stone bench and sued. The fire gave hardly any light, and the work seemed to go badly. The boy's heart swelled with pity. The splendid Bergrese seemed to him poor and unhappy, and the only thing he possessed, his life, should be taken from him. Tord began to weep. "'What is it?' asked Berg. "'Are you ill? Have you been frightened?' Then, for the first time, Tord spoke of his fear. "'It was terrible in the wood. I heard ghosts and raw spectres. I saw white monks. God's death, boy! They crowded round me all the way up Broad Mountain. I ran, but they followed after and sang. Can I never be rid of the sound? What have I to do with them? I think that they could go to one who needed it more. Are you mad tonight, Tord? Tord talked, hardly knowing what words he used. He was free from all shyness. The words streamed from his lips. They are all white monks, white, pale as death. They all have blood on their cloaks. They drag their hoods down over their brows. But still the wound shines from under the big, red, gaping wound from the blow of the axe. The big, red, gaping wound from the blow of the axe? Is it I who perhaps have struck it? Why shall I see it? The saints only know, Tord, said Bergrese, pale and with terrible earnestness, what it means that you see a wound from an axe. I killed the monk with a couple of knife thrusts. 
Tord stood trembling before Berg and wrung his hands. They demand you of me. They want to force me to betray you. Who? The monks? They, yes, the monks. They show me visions. They show me her, Ann. They show me the shining sunny sea. They show me the fisherman's camping ground. There is dancing and merrymaking. I close my eyes, but still I see. Leave me in peace, I say. My friend has murdered, but he is not bad. Let me be, and I will talk to him, so that he repents and atones. He shall confess his sin and go to Christ's grave. We will both go together to the places which are so holy that all sin is taken away from him who draws near them. What do the monks answer? asked Berg. They want to have me saved. They want to have me on the rack and wheel. Shall I betray my dearest friend? I ask them, continued Tord. He is my world. He has saved me from the bear that had his paw on my throat. We have been cold together and suffered every want together. He has spread his bear skin over me when I was sick. I have carried wood and water for him. I have watched over him while he slept. I have fooled his enemies. Why do they think that I am one who will betray a friend? My friend will soon of his own accord go to the priest and confess. Then we will go together to the land of atonement. Berg listened earnestly, his eyes sharply searching Tor's face. You shall go to the priest and tell him the truth, he said. You need to be among people. Does that help me if I go alone? For your sin, death, and all his spectres follow me. Do you not see how I shudder at you? You have lifted your hand against God himself. No crime is like yours. I think that I must rejoice when I see you on rack and wheel. It is well for him who can receive his punishment in this world and escapes the wrath to come. Why did you tell me of the just God? You compel me to betray you. Save me from that sin. Go to the priest. And he fell on his knees before Berg. The murderer laid his hand on his head and looked at him. He was measuring his sin against his friend's anguish and it grew big and terrible before his soul. He saw himself at variance with the will which rules the world. Repentance entered his heart. Woe to me that I have done what I have done, he said. That which awaits me is too hard to meet voluntarily. If I give myself up to the priest, they will torture me for hours. They will roast me with slow fires. And is not this life of misery which we lead in fear and want penance enough? Have I not lost lands and home? Do I not live parted from friends and everything which makes a man's happiness? What more is required? When he spoke so, Tord sprang up wild with terror. Can you repent? he cried. Can my words move your heart? Then come instantly. How could I believe that? 
Let us escape. There is still time. Burgrese sprang up. He too. You have done it then. Yes, 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 I have betrayed you. But come quickly. Come as you can repent. They will let us go. We shall escape them. The murderer bent down to the floor where the battle-axe of his ancestors lay at his feet. You son of a thief, he said, hissing out the words. I have trusted you and loved you. But when Tord saw him bend for the axe, he knew that it was now a question of his own life. He snatched his own axe from his belt and struck at Berg before he had time to raise himself. The edge cut through the whistling air and sank in the bent head. Bergrese fell head foremost to the floor. His body rolled after. Blood and brains spouted out. The axe fell from the wound. In the matted hair Tor saw a big red gaping hole from the blow of an axe. The peasants came rushing in. They rejoiced and praised the deed. You will win by this, they said to Tord. Tord looked down at his hands, as if he saw there the fetters with which he had been dragged forward to kill him he loved. They were forged from nothing, of the rushes green light, of the play of the shadows, of the song of the storm, of the rustling of the leaves, of dreams were they created, and he said aloud, God is great. But again the old thought came to him. He fell on his knees beside the body and put his arm under his head. Do him no harm, he said. He repents. He is going to the holy sepulchre. He is not dead. He is but a prisoner. We were just ready to go when he fell. The white monk did not want him to repent, but God, the God of justice, loves repentance. He lay beside the body, talked to it, wept and begged the dead man to awake. The peasants arranged a bier. They wished to carry the peasant's body down to his house. They had respect for the dead and spoke softly in his presence. When they lifted him up on the bier, Tord rose, shook the hair back from his face, and said with a voice which shook with sobs, Say to Anne, who made Bergrese a murderer, that he was killed by Tord the fisherman, whose father is a wrecker, and whose mother is a witch, because he taught him that the foundation of the world is justice. End of Part 3 of The Outlaws From Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack Read by Lars Rolander